Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a podcast from BBC Studios, the commercial subsidiary of the BBC. Hello and welcome back to season two of the TalentWorks podcast. If you haven't listened to us before, TalentWorks is a production company within BBC Studios and it's aimed at identifying forward-thinking talent with whom it can partner. The podcast is presented by Helen O'Donnell and me, Brona Monaghan. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe. I just wanted to start with a little, I mean, I I kind of feel like Casper doesn't really need an introduction, but um, I've had the pleasure with, both Helen and I have had the pleasure of working with Casper on... um, few projects um i think casper is such a successful talent because he's taken his channel in an amazing direction and he's worked across short form long form the project that we want to talk about today is actually hit the road um which casper and joe sugg worked on with bbc studios um and so i just thought that it was worth kind of playing a little clip from that in case anybody hadn't seen it before does that make you nervous? Which which one? Which, <laughs> the, we we did two. So this we is from the first. Oh no, the first. That's when we were learning how to. Yeah. Okay. One week, one mission. Casper Lee, Joe Sugg, go outside. <laughs> we're traveling around Europe, trying to look for jobs. Yes, that was uh, Hit the Road, which was a project that BBC Studios worked on with um, with Casper and Joe. And so we want to talk about that project a little bit more today. But um, And also, I, I should say that after Helen and I have um, finished questions, we're going to open it up to the audience. So if you think of any interesting questions you'd like to ask Casper, um, we'll have sort of 10 minutes at the end. Um, so I kind of want to go back to the start. Casper, when did you first realise that you were creative? Oh, um... I don't know. I I don't know if I was creative growing up. I just kind of I love watching YouTube, so um, that's why I started. There wasn't I wasn't like the creative one in class. My sister kind of was way more creative, and she used to edit things all the time. So I I thought that was awesome, and I used to watch her do that. But I just watched so much YouTube back in like two thousand and nine, two thousand and eight in school, um, and just that was a great way to escape. Um, just you know, being a teenager sometimes it's just fun to watch people in America vlog their lives. I don't know if you guys remember the Shea Todds. Anyone? Yeah, I used to watch them all the time. Uh, awkward <laughs> now, but uh, they were really family fun back then. Um, and uh, so I just, I made my first video that shows I'm not very creative was, um, I, I, d- I decided it would be a good idea to rate whether bathing or showering was more dangerous. That was a video idea I had. That was my very first YouTube video. What was more dangerous? Um, and it, it got like 300 views. I was expecting like 100,000 overnight, but it got 300 views. Most of them mine because I used to refresh the, the video tab. Uh, you could do that up to 301 views back then. It worked really well. And then, uh, yeah. 
Uh, and then I used to like have accounts and stuff. I would like like my own things on and dislike. So it's it's always kind of been more of a hustle for me than being like a, like a really. I wasn't like born with this incredible talent or creativity or whatever. It's always just been like, how can I get people interested in what I'm doing, and how can I work with people who are really creative to help boost that. And you come from a really creative family as well. <laughs> what, what what was their reaction to when you know when you first launched your channel? What did they think of uh, what you were doing? I think they're like ah. It's tough because creative family, they, they, they kind of know how difficult it is to make money in the creative industry uh, firsthand. So uh, I, I guess they'd kind of struggled and like they became like my dad and mom became estate agents at one point, even though they're such creative people because it's just so difficult. So uh, when they saw this new platform like, called YouTube and uh, they couldn't even understand it, so they, 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 they thought it was a bit strange. Like maybe hid the fact how, like how much I was actually watching and doing in my, up in my bedroom. I maybe pretend to be doing my homework, but I was actually doing YouTube stuff. So uh, maybe they didn't know. And then I told uh, when I told them I wanted to take a year out and do it full time, I was lucky that it was the first year after school. Um, so that's kind of the time where you can make mistakes and it's kind of maybe a better time to do it than if I was like starting now. I think it would be a lot harder. So it was a really pretty good transition from like grade 12, which is matric in South Africa, just to, to starting YouTube full time. And I took a, a year out to come to London and do that. And I'm still living here. So yeah, it's worked out. So do you think that was the tipping point for you when you came to London? Uh, I think the tipping point was just connecting with other creators online. So I did that from South Africa. There was this website called YouNow. Does anyone remember YouNow? Um, so I used to, it was like a website you go on webcam behind other people who went on webcam in front of an audience. And it was kind of brutal. They could vote you up or down. And if you had like more down votes than up votes, you'd be kicked off and someone else would come on. So I found a way to kind of hack that system and go on behind the, the biggest creators. Um, and uh, and then eventually, like as soon as I was on after them, I'd say, oh, I love their content so much. And they might still be watching. And some of them still watched. And then they saw my stuff and they like started sharing my stuff. And then I met up with, do you know, Jack's Gap. They make some really cool stuff still. Um, they've actually gone more into the filmmaking world, which is really interesting as well. Um, but they picked, Jack Harris picked me up from the airport in like 20, 2011 or 12, 2012. And as soon as I collabed with him, my world just, it all just exploded because everyone was collabing and I joined this wave of YouTubers um, and we kind of went from there. I think that's something you've always been really good at is kind of collaborating with people yeah. and knowing the network on YouTube because I think, you know, YouTube, that is the beauty of it. It's such a collaborative platform yeah. and even globally as well. I know that you've got, you know, such a, a great network in kind of most territories yeah. now. Um, how do you feel that it that has that changed at all? Yeah, I think uh, maybe people have maybe become a little bit more professional uh, with the way they do stuff. Whereas before, you could just like get on with someone and then they would want to do a video with you because of that. And maybe now, because there's so much money involved, people are a little bit more hesitant and skeptical of your intentions. I suppose. Um, so yeah, that may be starting to happen a little bit more but yeah I've, I've, I don't really like care I'll just ask everyone until someone says yes and then like it's just a numbers game if you try enough eventually you, yeah you will you'll never yeah it's never not don't worth asking no basically and you'll never get something without trying to get it obviously which is a cringe saying but it's so true so I remember when we first met you so we met you guys in 2015 maybe 2000 
Oh, uh, yeah. 2015. Yeah. So, Brona was managing me at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, I was working at um, BBC Worldwide at the time. And I remember you and Joe saying that the secret to success was creativity, yeah. collaboration, and consistency. I won't take... That's Joe's. Oh, is it Joe's? three Cs. Oh, I've credited uh, yeah, both yeah, of you I, I, was, I was in the room when he came up with it. So, so it's, pol- it's poly as. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's a really good, um, good three things to live by. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and... I guess Joe and I collaborating the, the amount we did is testament to that. Um, and it really just it, is the reason we were able to probably do what we did with you guys. Also, a few other things happening in the BBC that aligned. And yeah. And so I'd love to talk about the Hit the Road project. Yeah. So can you tell us what that was from your perspective and how it came about? Yeah. So do you want the true story? or <laughs> Is it a closed session? We want, we want the truth. I think, I think Jeremy Clarkson, he hit someone. Uh, and then because I I think the people basically Brian Klein directed it and he's the guy who usually does Jeremy's um, DVDs one yearly like Christmas specials if I'm right this is my perspective at least yeah and he's the the studio director (laughs) of Top Gear yeah so studio director of Top Gear and all of that happened with Jeremy Clarkson and then they 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 had like a free kind of month or, or a few months to make something else and at the time, yeah, we pounced on we pounced on it, um, and uh, we were the chosen ones. And I, I just I, I can't remember the exact moment, but just going into the BBC, I I used to save my badges, my BBC <laughs> badges, and put them on my wall because I was like, this is crazy. We're in the BBC now, um, so it was a really big deal for us. And uh, then we we did the the first one, and that was a whirlwind. We turned it into a lot of. You can go into what we turned. It wasn't just a DVD. We turned it into a tour as well. Um, but yeah, just working with someone like Brian Klein and all, it wasn't just him, like the director, he brought on all of his like amazing producers, you guys, um, he brought on the best camera people in the business and it was, it was such a explosion of going from in our room, which you see at the start of that to like these bigger cameras. Yeah. So it was a collaboration between like short form expertise, like you guys were absolute expertise in what you were doing and you know linear experience with the Top Gear production crew and you're right it did kind of snowball in the fact that it started off as the one by 90 minute piece of content but then we took it as a tour to Australia and New Zealand which was no it was yeah, nuts yeah, wasn't yeah. it I and think you did a calendar we did, did a calendar yeah? that sold more uh, than Kylie or Tottenham Hotspur uh, yeah. I, I think that. was there a stat it was uh, 50 shades of grey we yeah. beat on Amazon for a few days yeah absolutely <laughs> So, yeah, how did you find working with a bigger production team? Because that was the first time you'd done something yeah. on that scale. Yeah, um, I think, uh, yeah, it's just, it is kind of daunting and so on. But Brian, if you, I don't know, Brian's not here, obviously, but he's, um, yeah, he's just, <laughs> it's hard to explain that he's really easygoing and fun. And he's like, a ma- he becomes a mate very quickly on set. And then you feel comfortable when you've got someone on that level um, saying like, what to do and directing you I suppose um, it's important to have someone like that did you ever find it did you feel that there was ever an element of risk yeah because we're so used to editing our own stuff and I, I still edit my videos I just think that's like the most important part of it for me because it's quite unscripted what I do and also this show was pretty unscripted so uh, I knew that the editing process was probably the most daunting handing that over and then we asked if we could be involved and they said yes yeah. so we were in the editing bay most of the time as well so that kind of took away uh, that fear. Um, but just how you talk on a bigger screen versus how you talk on YouTube, is you kind of, 
it's weird on YouTube. You're a bit louder when you're talking. It's like, and it comes across well when you're like, "Hi guys, how's it going today?" Like that's fine on YouTube and it works nicely. But when you do it on there, like we realized in the first one, we maybe felt a little bit louder than we should have been in terms of our like reactions. And then the second one, I felt was a lot more like we learned so much from doing the first ones, which is strange because you you watch them both on a on a screen, but there's just different there's nuances that we didn't quite know. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like, if it was 90 minutes of like, hey guys, it'd be just exhausting <laughs> yeah. for, the, uh, yeah. for the viewer. Yeah, exactly. There's more of a, <laughs> there's more of a storyline. Yeah. And how did you find collaborating with Joe off-platform? Was it any different? Uh, no, yeah, I guess uh, we, everything happened more on time because yeah. you know, when it's just us, you know. We we don't have to we didn't stick to a schedule so so well back the, in those days. We just kind of made a video and then just put it up. And, and this was like you have to be I don't know. It was just a lot more structured, um, but fun as well because we were going through the experience together. Um, and yeah, I, 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 yeah, between us, we we just had such a it was just such an easy experience. So yeah, there was there was no kind of it wasn't more difficult. I would say. And also, it's nice having a friendly face exactly. every day to yeah. get through any of exactly. the tough moments. <laughs> yeah, and someone to make fun of you when you need the toilet in the middle of like an American road. Oh, <laughs> I won't go into that. How did you feel then doing the live shows? Oh, that yeah, that was uh, that was easier than doing something like this. I think, um, even though I'm, I feel comfortable now at this kind of stuff, but doing a live show in front of a lot of people for some reason is is less daunting than doing it in front of like a room where you can see faces. So. Luckily, a lot of people came. Uh, it was it was quite tiring as well, kind of traveling around every day, meeting hundreds of people every day as well before the live show and doing that. But it, it was like it's incredible to look back and see like, oh my gosh, like that w- that was just such a just seeing it all back is really makes it all worth it and it's a great memory. Um, the li- we also did it was funny enough the live sh- our host on the live show is Ian Sterling, so we kind of made his career. <laughs> um, he was like, yeah, so now he, we listen to him every day, so that's a a bonus. We get some insider information on Love Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Yeah, because I think one of the things that was very cool about the Hit the Road project was it it existed in different mediums. So I think when when you're coming up with an idea, it's always, I mean, if if you're comfortable with both online and offline, it's always worth exploring. Could this be a live show? Because I guess part of being a creator is having a relationship with your audience. And so I think once you took that into the live space, everyone went crazy for it. it uh, Yeah, It it wasn't the craziest live show in terms of like massive things but it was just like a proper it was like us hanging out with our audience and having a good time and kind of doing things that were in the in the dvd and people people seem to enjoy it 
absolutely so now and um, talking about the content on your um channel now i would say it, it has matured somewhat in sometimes terms, depending somewhat. on the week <laughs> depending on if i need views or not so you've um you've dabbled in documentary on your channel you've also done some animation projects yeah. that tend to take a little longer can you tell us about how you've formulated those ideas so uh I love uh, I love Louis Theroux. I watch a lot. I like watching non-fiction stuff personally more than fiction. So um, just I've always wanted to do a documentary. And I'm from Cape Town. Well, I'm from South Africa, near Cape Town. And I wanted to go back to Cape Town and talk about like the crime there and how the issues um, facing that city with the gang warfare. Like it's crazy. It's kind of it's basically a war zone just outside of the most beautiful city in the world. So don't put yourself off going to Cape Town. I'm sure a lot of you've been and it's amazing. But there's like a side to it that was. Uh, Something I'd never experienced before, but I have a friend who's like Mr. Cape Town. He does everything. He's a paramedic, a police officer, um, and uh, a good friend of mine. So he's like, I can take you for a week with, with our crew. And we went into what's known as the Cape Flats and uh, just met up with uh, gangsters, saw how the police work, met this guy who's in a gang. He's just talking about how he's killed people. We're sitting there literally, and people could be coming in at any point to to come and shoot him and I was thinking yeah, it's kind of strange I usually make videos where I'm like in the ice bath like screaming it's like this is weird so that's the cool thing about having a YouTube channel I suppose you can do literally whatever you want um, and maybe it won't maybe the viewers like it will be a different set of viewers on who watch that video but YouTube has a really good algorithm at the moment that it will eventually find its audience like um, an example of this I might be going on a tangent but like Josh did a video on uh, tanks right he did he drove a tank through my friend josh he's my roommate he drove a tank through london he got like forty thousand views in the first week which he was disappointed in because he only has a he gets like a hundred thousand views and it's like oh why did i do that i spent so much money on a tank <laughs> but um a week later like two weeks later it's on nine hundred thousand views because it got into the tank community and everyone's like this is not the tank you said this is this tank and like that, so it's really cool to know that you can kind of step out of your box as a youtuber um, but what was the question? I've gone on complete tangent. No, that's right. Like, how do you, how do you find um, going on different different uh, formats? So the documentary. Yeah. You've also done the animation projects. Yeah. So I just know some really good animators. <laughs> that's that's basically. I I write out a cool uh, thing that I want to talk about. Uh, oh, the animation projects in terms of being the movie or the. Oh no, I was oh, reading on your channel. Oh but yeah, on nice the channel. Yeah, yeah. Is the fact that you've been in, in, in a movie. movie. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, the animation projects is I've just—it's just finding really good people who create really cool stuff, and they do all the animations. I don't—I can't draw for shit, but um, I—I uh, I find people who are good at what they do, and they help help with that. So I, I write it out, and it's been u very useful because I think like voiceovers become very powerful on YouTube. I've always thought that um, the the audio quality is the most important thing to get right in a video before the video quality um, or anything else, because people are usually listening more than they're watching when they're on YouTube because they might be doing two things at once. So like animation is a great way to do that because you just make sure that the audio is perfect and get a little yeah. cool animation over it. No, uh, what, I, what I really liked about your channel was you always used to treat it like a magazine show, which is like quite a technical, t traditional <laughs> term, but yeah. 
that you had sort of your celebrity interviews then you would have more sketch based stuff then you would have more prank based stuff because I think people can go in maybe a couple of directions on YouTube you could either go for a really niche subject and you will absolutely find the community that really really love that Mm. topic and just want to hear you talk about it over and over or you can look at you know sort of more entertainment formats and within that there's different strands there's different sort of things that then you become known for I think the smartest thing to do is go for the niche so I think that's probably the best way to go about it these days Um, but I've just always done everything so it's hard to stop and then so you mentioned that you've been a voiceover in a movie (laughs) (laughs) so how did how did that happen and what appealed to you about doing that project (sighs) and what was it it just takes like a day to do and then you're in a film it's amazing um because they do all the work and you just go in and do the voiceover and we were we were beavers uh and it was really easy because you just scream so it wasn't much acting involved just screaming um, so yeah, that was really fun. But Joe, I, I get a lot of these opportunities because of Joe. Oh, <laughs> he, come on, he's mate. so good at voiceovers, and like he, he, I don't know if you've ever seen his impressions. And they're like, if we need, we, we have Joe, but we have to bring his mate with him. So I come along, and I'm like, yeah, I can do a South African English accent. So yeah, that's cool. And so, what sort of content is inspiring you at the minute? <sighs> oh, that's that's good. Ah, I don't know. I mean, I watch a lot of. Uh, uh, watch a lot of news on youtube so it's interesting to see like uh i think is it it might be i'm i think it's channel four they upload like a lot of content Mm -hmm. and it's like how do you upload that much content so it's like and it's pretty good stuff it's really up to date and it's they really look at they're really smart about their youtube um so that's quite interesting but anyone um who like i just watch so many random things it's hard to 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 go into but i do what I, I like watching line of duty that's insp- that's quite a good storyline <laughs> anyone watching that yes so i was i sat i sat behind her yesterday at at this concert and i and i Who's uh, Vicky? uh the the i don't know her real name but it's dci fleming yeah Vicky. Okay. so it's Vicky. yeah, yeah. Vicky. Vicky mcclure yeah and she was in front of me yesterday but yeah she was um she's amazing <laughs> and do you engage it do, do you listen to any podcasts yeah. Um, yes, I, I, I kind of listen to a lot of, my favorite kind of audio to listen to now is Calm, the, the story books by Calm when you're going to sleep. So that's when I kind of listen to things, uh, it just makes me so relaxed and like go on an adventure through time travel and all of that. But, uh, yeah, there's some, we have, uh, um, a couple of people we manage called Sophia and Chinsia who, who have an amazing, uh, podcast called Girl, Girls, The Girls Bathroom and I've been enjoying that bit different for someone like me to be listening to it but it's kind of interesting to hear what girls talk about in the bathroom it did really well didn't it it got to yeah. the top of the itunes yeah chart, so i'm really enjoying that as well yeah so how are you find working with other creators now on yeah your, on well, the management so side? difficult i've got one right there <laughs> mark mark ferris um no I, it's really it's really good um it, yeah it's i think i've always worked with creators but usually like to, for my channel but now it's like working with creators for their channels a lot more so that's really fun as well and collaborating and just yeah running a company is really interesting so I'd, I'd like to open up uh some questions to the audience question you said you think it's smarter to focus on a niche why uh well in terms of if you're doing oh it depends uh if you, first and foremost you have to enjoy what you do but if you're looking for from like a financial point of view uh you don't need to get as many views um on your videos to work with brands if you've got a niche so that's pretty much the reason and also uh there's maybe less competition than going like just the broad I want to be I want everyone to love me for me whereas if you're talking about a niche they love what you're talking about and then uh, you can kind of jump onto that now which is because it's so difficult just to like 
become uh, like what you known as like the back in the old days like we all just came up for who we were I think and now you kind of have to come up for what you talk about and how good your content is so I'd go for a niche as well because then you can like if you if you're doing golf you only need like 10,000 views and then you probably get a great golf sponsorship you know uh, rather than if you're like just doing comedy brands don't know exactly um, what audience you have sometimes when you don't have a niche and then they, they don't spend money uh, as efficiently. Has there been a particular niche that you've been looking at and you think, oh, yeah, that's great. Um, I'd like to get in on this. So is there anything that you might be looking yeah. into that you want to so dabble in? Joe, Joe's, uh, so I, I managed with, uh, my management company is with Joe. Um, we started it together. And he's obsessed with uh, fishermen. So he wants, he thinks the next big uh, niche on YouTube is fishermen. Um, but I think gaming, obviously, that's not a small niche, but I'd love to get involved in that. That's just going to keep growing. I mean, let's talk about the Olympics and all that. It's just so mainstream now. And uh, yeah, it would be cool to, to kind of ma manage an athlete. Um, that'd be fun, a gaming athlete. But uh, yeah, I th I, there's not a, I'm trying to think, cars are great as well, probably a very smart one to get into. For your BBC shows that you did, how yeah. involved were you in the pre-production? Like, um, for example, the road trip. Did you help decide where you're going to go and what activities you'll do when you were there? Um, I was pretty involved. I remember. I can't. It was the first one. Was so we went around Europe first. I'm pretty sure I knew where we were going to go. I don't, that wasn't the one where we weren't meant to know where we were going to go. Was it? No. So the first <laughs> one, we would have pre-production meetings at BBC Studios that Casper and Joe would come along to. There would be so the the inception of the idea kind of formed together. We knew that there was going to be yeah. some kind of road trip adventure. That was about that it as the starting point and we formulated it all together then the team would come up with ideas and we'd almost bounce it off everybody yeah. in the room it's very collaborative in terms of i think joe and casper were very humble in terms of taking on ideas from other people in the room and equally everybody else was very respectful as to joe and casper's mm. thoughts on we made sure that was in the contract <laughs> in terms of like what would what would go you know what felt authentic to the audience yeah. because it wouldn't have we weren't creating a show and dropping joe and casper in as hosts it was their show mm. and i think that's two very specific ways of doing things in terms of i've got an idea from a show and maybe casper could host but maybe you could host it or i'm making casper's show Do you see what I mean? and uh, the second one we we didn't know as much because there were more surprises that's why i was just working out but yeah it was yeah. we still knew like what we wanted to do but we wanted to keep some stuff a surprise and we trusted brian by then yeah so the f f that was a learning from the first one in terms of the improvised elements on camera worked really well so how do we create those moments whilst joe and casper still feeling safe in the environment of the show i mean we still needed to deliver a 90 minute piece of content at the end of it but like you say there was a lot more surprises along the way yeah. hi casper um i was just wondering from a tv producer's perspective obviously you know Years and years ago, it would be a case of we would look for talent and then for a specific subject, and then we they would bring we would bring them in. They would learn a lot from from how we would do things. But as co-creators, obviously managing editing, but also your own content, what is it you think that we as producers or the industry in general, broadcast industry, could learn from you guys? Oh, yeah, everything. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, that's a tough one. Um, ah. Uh, I think maybe not worrying so much about depends on the obviously the content you're making and like what what format it is but if it's kind of non-scripted not worrying so much about the quality of the shots and making everything so perfect it's it's just so much more important 
what people are saying and if it feels real and if the f if it's just an entertaining thing i think some of the biggest youtubers in the world like there's this guy from uh he doesn't even he does scripted stuff there's this guy from india who was like the biggest indian youtuber i don't know if he still is no i think t-series took over but he um he he literally just he, he had like seven million viewers every video and he just did it all on his iphone and he was all the characters and it would just be on his iphone and that was it and like people enjoyed it still because the content was so engaging so i guess maybe not worrying so much about how perfect the shot looks but also you do have standards you have to keep up too so it's a double-edged sword but i'd say yeah definitely more about the content than the quality of the the, the shots and yeah as a talent i don't like waiting around for the lighting to look good so <laughs> i just want to go but yeah i think that's one do you have any i'm sure you guys also have points on that well, one. well i i agree from that perspective like in in a documentary, the best moments are sort of those really candid moments that might be just caught on someone's phone. And I think the way that people are consuming content now, because so much is consumed through your phone, you're not as kind of sensitive to really high quality camera. I mean, it depends on the show. Obviously, yeah. Game of Thrones yeah. has to be shot on the most expensive yeah. stuff. You more know. non-scripted. Exactly. But yeah. also, don't cringy try and do like a vlog scene where you're like, oh, he's a YouTuber. <laughs> he has to do a vlog scene where we see him with the camera and then the camera as well. I just, yeah. I think um, a it. point to add is the um, the quickness of turning something round. Yeah. So I think that's something really great in the online space that you can have an idea and turn it round relatively quickly. And I think in linear timelines, sometimes because it has to go through so many people, it ends up feeling sometimes slightly out of date by the time it comes out. Whereas you guys can have an idea, turn it round and it happen as opposed to thinking about a trend that might have happened a year ago and then as then yeah. trying to... And also you can use YouTube maybe to pilot some of your ideas and just see how they do and if people like them. I think that's a great thing about you can like make so many mistakes on YouTube and then you can see exactly straight away if people like it or not. So, yeah. How did you go about developing your live show? So the one that you did with the BBC, had you already done it in a format before? Yes, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think you guys helped a lot. Ian Sterling's really funny as well, so he he carried the whole thing pretty well. Um, do, do we bring on a live show coordinator, someone who directed the live show we did, right? Sorry, it's, my memory's very No, hazy. It, was a, it was the hazy days. Yeah. We um, So the format of the live show was people seeing the, uh, the, the piece of content before anyone else. So it was clips from the show interspersed with um, Q&A with Joe and Casper and then games. It was basically like bringing to life parts of the YouTube channel on stage. So there was like the ice bath yeah. um, thing that worked really well. Um, and it wasn't groundbreaking, groundbreaking theater, but it was like, it was just really fun and stuff that we knew the audience who would come to would enjoy. Um, because like there's a particular audience of ours who are going to come to the events and they're usually more young and looking for the challenge -y type stuff yeah and i think also that is a testament to turning a project around really quickly so we decided we were doing the live show in september and they happened in november yeah. in new zealand and australia so it was a really uh quick turnaround but they all sold out and they were they had a really good atmosphere yeah. in the room and like, live nation we worked with they were really yep. good as well so yeah so casper thank you so much thank for joining Cheers. us today for everyone yes big round of applause Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about us, we're on Instagram at BBC Studios Talentworks. This podcast is produced by Shola Alegi for BBC Studios. <laughs>